This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 292. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I am joined today by Matthew Marister. Hey, Riley. What's up, man? Hey, dude. How are things in Ohio? Rainy and... Yeah, rainy. Yeah, I heard I heard it was really rainy there, which I was a little bit surprised to hear because just like last week, you were in like the sub-zero, you know, frozen hinterland. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take the rain any day. This is, it's actually, it was like 50 some degrees today with rain and next week we're supposed to get snow again. So I'll, I'll take the wet rain with a little bit more warmth. <laughs> no shoveling rain, right? Yeah. I have to shovel snow and that sucks. <laughs> well, on my end of things here in Colorado, we just got hit with a, a pretty decent storm yesterday and last night. And then the temperatures plummeted, you know, down to sub-zero last night. Uh, it's been, you know, rather chilly here. We got a bunch of white stuff on the ground. Uh, I think we got about five or six inches of my house. You know, nothing crazy, wow. but but enough for the kids. Actually, so because of the combination of low temps and the snow that was received, the mess that the roads were in, they canceled school uh, for my kids. Oh, wow. First time in a couple of years, actually. Uh, so my my kids' schools don't don't get canceled very often for for like winter related weather. So. So they were super excited to wake up this morning, and mom and dad were like, hey, you don't have school today. That is cool. <laughs> course, I always loved that as a kid, man. Oh, yeah. It's it's <laughs> magical. But then, of course, as mom and dad, we got to, like, you know, we, we now have five kids running around the place uh, <laughs> like a bunch of crazy yahoos. My wife had right. to kick them out earlier today, like, go out and play in the snow. <laughs> anyway. Cool. So, um, guys, uh, welcome to uh, this this episode. We are fast approaching 300 episodes that we've done on the podcast, and I'm I'm gonna just tease something. I'm gonna let you all know that uh, we're planning something really cool for our weekly giveaway, for our Tuesday giveaway on the podcast. Uh, we're gonna do something really exciting. Actually, episode 300 doesn't land on a Tuesday, but so we're gonna do. But either way, don't 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 worry. We're, everybody that listens to or watches the podcast is going to be able to participate in this awesome giveaway that we're going to have for celebrating episode 300. What I'm referring to is we're just going to be giving away something really cool. I'm not going to say exactly what it is yet. We're still working out a few details. Uh, Regardless of how those details get worked out, we're going to do something awesome for episode 300 and celebrate it in a big, exciting way. Uh, So we're excited about that. Today's episode is... Brought to you by the Brave Response holster line, uh, both the Brave Response original and the newer appendix holsters available for sale, of course, on our site. Uh, maybe it's been a while since you heard about those, been a while since we talked about them. Uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash BRH, B as in Brave, and R, response, and H, holster, right? So concealedcarry.com forward slash BRH. Um, they're not the holster for everybody, or nor do they serve probably every purpose for every person. But for some people, they re- I mean, for some people, it is the solution. I know because I see your emails, I see the feedback where people just love Brave Response holsters. The one thing that is consistent, Matthew, that we see is they are pretty tough to beat as far as comfort is concerned. So if you're looking for an alternative solution for carrying a gun concealed on your person. 
and you want it to be comfortable, well, the one thing for sure we can guarantee is that the Brave Response holsters are comfortable. I yeah, mean, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, me as a as an appendix carrier, uh, there's nothing that beats the, the Brave Response appendix holster for a, pen, for a comfort in the appendix position. Now, it's not my choice every day. Okay, that's just me. I'm different. But for some people it is. Jacob carries every day now. In fact, we, we you know, about a year or so ago, we got Jacob converted over to the appendix way of carrying a gun and he carries in a Brave Response appendix holster every single day now. And uh, I don't blame him at all because it is super super comfortable. I love my Brave Response holsters for when I'm wearing uh, gym clothes, when I'm going to work out, anything like that, doing physical activities. That's where the Brave Response holster for me has huge value because it works really well in those contexts where I'm I'm wearing a, a you know gym shorts or warm up pants or whatever. BRH works really well in those situations. Yeah, without a doubt, and and I know a lot of women uh, particularly are drawn to it um, because they typically don't have pants that have belt loops or even wear a belt. So yep. um, I, I know that we get a lot of uh, comments about women like, hey, this is better than a belly band. You know, it's not as restrictive. It's not as hot and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, definitely, yep. a, definitely a good option for some for some people in certain situations. Yep. So if you're looking for a great, comfortable holster, for Concealed Carry, go check out concealedcarry.com forward slash B-R-H. And appreciate uh, your support of them and their products and, of course, of us and the podcast as it, it makes it possible. All right? All right. So let's transition now and talk about what we've got coming up in today's episode. Uh, today's episode is an interview that we were able to do together with Dwayne Liptak of Magpul. He's the executive vice president over there. He is also on the board of directors at the NRA. He's been on that. He's he's had that position for a little less than a year now. In the interview, I think I, I at first I said I, I thought I'd been about. I swear it was two years ago when I remember him being you know elected. But then I remembered once he reminded me that yes, him and then there was Julie Golub. Uh, she was also she, she so they're kind of that freshman class of uh, board of directors. Uh, Julie Golub, of course, the famous uh, uh, female competitive shooter. Uh, and then, of course, there's Dwayne, Dwayne Limtak. And anyway, Dwayne was very uh, gracious and kind to spend about an hour with us uh, uh, talking about cool things at Magpul, talking about a little bit of history there. Uh, and then also, we spent a good deal of time talking about his work uh, with the NRA and also the work of the NRA, which is, depending on who you, who you are and who you talk to, uh, is quite controversial at times. Uh, for some people, very controversial. Um, many listeners of the podcast we know are members of the NRA and very supportive of the NRA. Um, some are not, and that's totally okay. And we, we don't bring this interview to you, by the way, to, to be any sort of like endorsement or even an encouragement necessarily so much as, you know, as far as like, you should go and join the NRA. It's really just about presenting a, an interesting perspective. And yeah. Dwayne has a unique perspective. Yeah, I mean, an inside perspective. Perspective. And, and, you know, I, I try to um, educate myself on, on a lot of the things that affect the, the you know, industry, obviously. And, uh, you know, it's difficult to understand exactly what happens inside the NRA. We, we look at it from the outside and we say, oh, you know, they're not doing this or they're not doing that. Or and, and until you 
hear from somebody inside the NRA as, as to how like kind of the the, the inner workings go. It's it really it was educational for me to understand that. It made me you know respect um, the decisions and the difficulty of you know being in a lose lose situation um, that the NRA is in. And so um, yeah, I'm not like like you said, I'm not advocating for or against anything, um, you know, but it, it does give you a really good perspective on, um, uh, on the whole climate and, and why it's so, so contentious right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now in full disclosure, I am a life member, a recently, uh, upgraded to endowment level. Dwayne actually was somewhat responsible for that. He wrote this long post on Facebook explaining why he feels, uh, that, the stronger the NRA is, the stronger the positions can be as far as being, you know, fighting for the Second Amendment. I'm quoting a little bit, by the way, from his post on Facebook here. Because um, he said that the stronger the NRA is, the stronger the positions can be, referring to our fight for gun, for, for, for the Second Amendment, for gun rights. I don't, you know, I, I, a little bit, by the way, I kind of... Uh, cringe a little bit when I hear the word gun rights because like that doesn't make any sense, right? Like guns don't have rights, but we obviously know what we mean when we say gun rights, right? So anyway, um, but Dwayne is as pro 2A as you can get. He says in the interview, he's all for like, you should be able to mail order fully automatic suppressed right you know uh, rifles or guns <laughs> or, or whatever. Uh, he, he'd be okay with you parking a tank in your driveway. So, like, that's how pro 2A Dwayne Liptak is. But then he's on the board of directors of the NRA. There's a lot of people who don't feel like the NRA is really that pro 2A. But there's people like Dwayne there fighting the cause. So he makes some really interesting, I think, and compelling arguments of why the NRA is still valuable, why we need it, and why he feels like... It, there's there's things obviously that can be improved. Um, the direction you know he he has some thoughts on the direction that uh, that the NRA should move. A lot of that has to do with uh, transparency and communication and other things. So anyway, I think we should go ahead and uh, play the interview now, Matthew. Uh, you ready to go? Yeah, absolutely. All right, queuing it up right now. So uh, you actually started a career. Uh, you you were in the military. You were in the Marine Corps, was it? Correct. And you were an F eighteen pilot. Did I get that right? So that's it. Well, at, at a time, at one time there, so there's a saga there. Uh, I started, so I had college, uh, I had been unsuccessful in, in enlisting, uh, or trying to become an, go into an officer program because I had a, uh, a rod in my arm. So I had a medical disqualification, but every two years when the, my physical would expire, I'd show back up at the OSO or the recruiting station and I'd re physical and try to do it again. <laughs> but, uh, so, so in any case, it was, I had my college degree finished. Uh, I finally got uh, a waiver and enlisted, uh, after that, uh, 0311, uh, over in one seven suicide, Charlie second platoon er, and uh-huh. uh, started off, uh, there seven Marines, uh, decided I needed, uh, a little bigger box, uh, and, and also it was the Clinton years, so it was 1999. Nobody was doing anything except we were bombing the heck out of Bosnia at the time. So it's like, you know, if I'm going to get into the fight, I don't know if we have the stomach for a ground war these days, and I'm going to have to do this aviation thing. So that's what I did. I became an officer, went on an aviation pipeline despite my SPC and, and TBS begging me to go back to the infantry where I belonged, according to her. 
<laughs> so I was a little, a little too belt fed for aviation, she thought, but it all worked out well. I became an F-18 pilot, uh, did that for a while, uh, went to Iraq with uh, the MFAW-224, came back from that, and that squadron was going to go on a Westpac rotation. And I wasn't done yet, so I jumped over and became the first MARSOC ground fact. Um, so I deployed with MARSOC twice to Afghanistan on the ground, uh, came back from that, got back in the cockpit, flew for a couple of years. And then caught on fire, ejected, and broke my back and got out. So that's the, in a nutshell. Dude, so you said saga, but uh, you weren't joking. That that really is a saga. Um, <laughs> you know, it sounds like you're, frankly, lucky to even be walking about and doing everything you do these days. There's been some entertaining moments, but, you know, there's certainly somebody been guiding my path, and I, I would be a fool to think otherwise. So, uh, Dwayne, how did you make the jump from FA-18 pilot to Magpul? I know you did a little bit of a stint at Brownells as well. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, firearms have always been part of my life. I learned how to gunsmith at like 12 and 13 with my dad. I had my first paid gunsmithing job at 17, and it was always a part of my life, you know, even while I was doing the military thing where I obviously didn't have a whole lot of time to do uh, uh, sometimes, uh, that kind of thing. But it was a big part of my life, always has been. When I got was faced with the decision that I was going to have to figure out what I wanted to be when I grow up, when I got out of the uh, military, as I'm sitting in a, in a bed nursing a, a busted T3, um, I was actually uh, looking at my options and I was ordering a set of scope rings off of Brownells and happened to look at the careers page. Uh, and I was actually trying to get over into the, the, you know, the, the, the Northwest there, more Idaho, Montana, Wyoming was kind of where I wanted to land. But uh, I saw that there and, and I applied for that position and I ended up at uh, Brownells was the, the place that was hiring at the time. And I started as a training uh, coordinator and, uh, and law enforcement military division coordinator. So, and work my way up from there. Awesome. I ended up, uh, I was only there for about 18 months, met the guys from Magpul. Uh, and uh, they lured me over with promises of, you know, all kind of good stuff. It worked yeah. out. Yeah. And now you and I were talking a little bit, a little bit before we went live uh, about some of your activities at Magpul. And, you know, you, you were there. I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm LinkedIn stalking you here because I'm looking at your profile, you know, so spilling the beans here. You, you weren't at Magpul very long before things here in Colorado, which is where Magpul, Magpul was based at the time, got kind of crazy. So can you give us kind of the short summary of, of, of kind of what that was like and, and everything that went on uh, with regards to the politics here in Colorado, Magpul's move out of Colorado? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I showed up April 9th, 2012, uh, and they had brought me on under the auspices of uh, running uh, Magpul Dynamics at the time with giving product input into the product development process. Within a few months after I got there, though, I ended up being director of product management, and then they gave me marketing a little bit later um, and just kept piling stuff on until until I screamed. But uh, and so the 2012 goes by, and it's, uh, we started looking at a larger facility. Things are going well. We need, we need more room. Uh, we need more production space. We need more office space. And we were actually talking with some architects, had plans for a building. We had a build-to-suit. We had a site picked out. We were about to sign a lease. We were one week away from signing a lease for that build-to-suit uh, facility, which would have been down in the Broomfield area. And uh, Daniel Carey from the NRA, who's uh, the uh, Colorado rep for the NRA at that time, knocks on our door, cold call, unannounced, uh, shows up and says, hey, 
this is uh, something you might want to be aware of. And I want to say it was December of 2012. Next session, they're going to drop these bills, and they looks like based on the the, the new map, they're going to have the the juice to get them through. So that kind of ruined our day uh, and started us started us on this path. Uh, energized us, and we, we became very involved very quickly. We had not previously been a very politically active company. It had always been kind of a laissez-faire. We were very strong Second Amendment and, and indeed libertarian proponents, but uh, the political process, it was always kind of a, um, you know, we all voted our own thing, but the company was not very politically active. In any case, uh, that thrust us into going to the Capitol on a daily basis almost. In some cases, uh, a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, trying to figure out strategies to, to kill these things. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the, what we ran into is Bloomberg had you know, a lawyer running around with an open checkbook. And anytime we'd leave an office, he would follow in right behind us and stroke somebody some campaign money or make some promises. And uh, it, was, it was pretty difficult. Also, despite that, they also, uh, on top of that, they also weren't interested in, you know, the Second Amendment uh, arguments. They weren't interested in the enforceability arguments. That, I mean, none of that resonated. You could talk to them all day about the fact that magazine capacity limitations and background, you know, mandatory background checks don't really do anything. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't care about that. They didn't care about any of the arguments that you would make, uh, certainly not on a Second Amendment and, and not even a public safety aspect. Uh, the only thing that we found that resonated was the jobs thing. Uh, and as the bill was written, <clears throat> they basically would, would make it illegal for us to make the magazine in the state. Uh, and so it's like, well, well there, it's, uh, you've, you're, you're, you're going to force us to move or you're going to lose all this revenue. You're going to lose all these things. And so then they, of course, said, well, uh, you don't have to leave. If you left, it would be on your own decision because we're going to put an exemption in there for manufacturing. Uh, so there's obviously some sleepless nights at that point, like, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this uh, and the heck with it. Well, if they do this, we'll move. We can't in good conscience stay in this state if they do that. Uh, and it's the only leverage we have at this point to even, they even care about, which is frustrating in its own right. So we, we made the announcement and said that was our position. It's like if you pass this, this law, we'll, we'll ha have to leave the state. Uh, we're forced in, in some sense, you know, moral obligation, obligation to our customers and as well as our customers don't want to see us, you know, stick around if, uh, if you pass that kind of stuff and, and, and vote with our feet. And uh, that's what we said. And that's what we did. So, and you, uh, although and you did, fast, for sure. Uh, I mean, there was there's probably many in the industry that were even calling your bluff to it or calling it a bluff uh, to some extent saying, like, come on, like, really, like that. That's such a huge and expensive undertaking. But you guys followed through. There were two. There were two schools of people that were calling a, uh, us on our, uh, calling it a bluff. As one of people that just didn't think we would do it, and then those, that same crowd were after we, you know, the bill was passed and we said, "Hey, we're definitely moving." They expected us to call, you know, rent two U-Haul trucks and, and take off the next week, which is kind of difficult. But uh, so the process took took some time. So like 2014 before we had uh, all the facilities sorted out. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of people that hated on us up to there. And then, yes, the people that were realistic about it, it was like, wow, that's an, that's an enormous footprint to pick up and move uh, no matter what you did. And there was a lot of challenges. Don't get me wrong. We, we, we left a remain behind facility in Colorado. It's a much, much smaller footprint than it was uh, when we were, we were there. We have 185, almost 190,000 square feet in Cheyenne right now where all our manufacturing and distribution processes happen, customer service and things like that are up there. 
Uh, and then down here in Texas, we have our headquarters uh, with uh, finance and accounting, some product management, all the marketing department, things like that. But uh, and that raises some challenges with a little bit of you know planes, trains, and automobiles with uh, bouncing between facilities. But uh, it's been worth it. I mean, I, it was difficult. I couldn't imagine in that year between the time the bill was passed and the, until I personally you know got an opportunity to to go out or actually it was a little more than that once we had the office set up. But in that time, it just bothered me on a very personal level to even live in the state. It just drove me crazy. But glad to be here. Texas has been great. Wyoming has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is working. The workforce is fantastic up there. A lot of talent down here. So those have been, it's been great for the company. Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing. And thanks for sharing that story with us. I'm sure it's not the first time you've told it, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been a few years now, and we're, we're, I live in Colorado. Uh, the president of our company, Jacob, lives in Colorado. And we talk about this all the time, you know, as far as uh, the way things are going currently in the state. And we'd like to remain here. We'd like to be very supportive of the, the political process, you know, as far as encouraging pro-2A legislation or at least prevent anti-2A legislation from continuing forward. But uh, it's unfortunately right now not looking super promising uh we have a a state government here that is uh in even more control of uh the other side (laughs) if you know what i mean that than than it was probably in 2013 so um yeah we'll just you know see how it goes uh although i asked i asked jacob the other day i said what would it take for uh for, for things to get bad enough that you actually you know decide you want to move and uh, he was kind of telling me what he thought. And I'm like, I- I'm already to the point. I, I want to get out of this place, man. <laughs> it's, it, it's frustrating. And it's uh, <clears throat> the situation right now is, is bad. And it's one of the reasons we left to remain behind facility. We've, we've stayed involved in Colorado pol- to politics because the one, the only regret I have about that whole thing is that, you know, some extent people that stayed there, we feel like we've you know walked away from that in in, in the numbers and support and things like that. We no longer have a financial argument to make, not that it would make any difference at this point, but we stayed involved. Um, we still uh, were active in uh, this past election. Unfortunately, it uh, didn't go our way uh, to a great extent, like you talked about, and the numbers are pretty, pretty bleak uh, from there. There's, uh, we're still working on some things and we'll still be active and we still have some, some folks there doing some things on our behalf to try and, and slow down or stop some of these things. But, uh, wow, it's a, it's a tough situation. Certainly an uphill fight based on the, just the legislative map right now. Yeah. 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 I, I had a quick question, Dwayne, uh, about that. Um, now obviously like your, your move, it, it's, it's welcomed by the industry. I mean, everybody supports it and, and obviously it's helped you guys out, but, um, what what about like the guys that were working there and they're pr- probably pro two a and and did did some of them say hey we're getting out of here too or were they kind of like I, I know sometimes as we're pro two a and to the point where it influences us or affects us right like our bottom line so did you get any kickback from those guys that were like hey I'm I'm all pro two a but you're taking my job or did some of them go with you how how did that all Kind of yeah, I mean, and, and some of the workforce, certainly there was, uh, we, the opportunity was extended for as many people as possible because it is so close, relatively speaking, right. uh, to, to just move up to the other facility. That's one of the reasons why Wyoming made a lot of sense because we didn't have to leave behind a workforce that we, we valued. And, you know, Magpul is truly a, a family 
excuse me, kind of environment as much as we you know, possibly can in a big manufacturing environment there. But uh, so, yeah, so there's, there's some people that moved up there, uh, some people that still commute to this day. Uh, and there's, you know, some people uh, on the professional side in the uh, design and engineering side that have remained in that, that, that smaller Colorado facility just because family reasons or whatever made, made more sense to, to, to not be able to leave. Very cool. Yeah. We didn't want to abandon people that had been with us and helped build the company, you know, that kind of thing. Same with some of our vendors that we had like really long-term relationships with and helped us build the company. So that that's, that's the difficult side too, is because you, you know, there's a, there's an ideological side and then there's the people side and you got to make sure balancing both because I'm, you know, I don't want to be morally it's, you know, I don't want to screw up the lives of, of the people who have brought us to the dance, you know? Right on. Yep. Dwayne, uh, you got on the board of directors at the NRA. Uh, has it been two years now? Uh, this uh, Coming up on one year uh, in May. Oh, it was, so it was just last year. Just last year, yep. Um, it feels like it's been longer than that to me for some reason. So, it feels like it's been way longer. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably been a long year for you as well. You uh, recently posted on Facebook uh, quite a lengthy, I mean, you could have written a book. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe you're working on a book, who knows? No. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk of the NRA in media, obviously, in recent months, uh, last year or so, especially since some of these more recent uh, you know, mass shootings have occurred. Uh, the NRA has you know, really come to the forefront of, of politics and the media. And uh, the NRA doesn't have a perfect track record or, or history necessarily, uh, depending on, especially depending on who you talk to or who you ask, right? There's very varying opinions all across the board about far the NRA. Far yep. from a perfect organization. Yep. And so you, you've been on there now approaching a year. Tell us a little about a little bit about the work of the board of directors, because I suspect there's people viewing or listening that don't even totally understand how the, the NRA works as an organization, what the board of directors even is and you know, what, what it looks like or what that means to the average gun owner. So the NRA board of directors, this is uh, first of all, I have to throw the disclaimer out that I am not a spokesman for the NRA. I'm not allowed to speak on behalf of the organization. Anything I say can be disavowed by the organization at any time. Right. Uh, so this, uh, get the these disclaimer are my, out of the my way, opinion, my comments, my understanding of how things work and all that sort of thing. So there's, there's the official disclaimer with uh, <laughs> the fine print. But uh, so, yes, the board of directors. So uh, one, there's a committee structure. And that's where I started. So you can be on a committee without being a board of director. When you're on the board, you are generally chair a committee or two or sometimes more than that or sometimes you don't. But uh, so you become chair of those committees. Those committees uh, advise. So you have a committee meeting. You talk about things. Uh, you talk about programs, initiatives. You advise the board of directors. And then the committee does a report to the, to the board at large. And I've done that for uh, I want to say four years or so prior to my run for the board, uh, just because I wanted to get involved and try and help uh, the advice and consent kind of thing. However, comma, I didn't, uh, I, I wanted to have a vote when it came time to, to talk about these issues and a little more influence to be able to try and steer the organization. Because honestly, I mean, there's a lot of things about the NRA that frustrate me and I'm not, I, I would be the, the first person to not say 
oh, the, the NRA is a perfect organization. And that's, you know, kind of when, when that article that, that was published, not, it wasn't an article, it was just a Facebook post on my page. Some people like Amaland grabbed it and they used a photo of a crying baby and a very inflammatory title. And that was not the, the intent by any stretch of the imagination. It was not meant to attack anybody that wants to detract from the NRA or say that there's something wrong. Uh, by uh, absolutely not. I think that uh, member, you should be a member of the NRA first and foremost, because and we can get into that later, but it's the, it's the best chance we have to affect legislative policy and, and what's going on in the Second Amendment in the United States today. Uh, <clears throat> regardless of where you feel uh, some of the, the publicly stated positions are, I can guarantee you that the organization is working in the right direction. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I, I digress. But anyway, there's this committee structure the board of directors. Board of directors, 76 members, 75 elected uh, via the magazine, and then the 76th is an annual position that's elected from the floor of the annual meeting. Those 76 directors then meet three times a year. So at the annual meeting, you meet in the fall and you meet in the winter. Uh, it sounds like they're really close smashed together, but it's it's not quite like that. It's it's pretty evenly spaced. And in case you meet at those three meetings, some there's, there are committees that meet every time the board of directors meet. There's committees that only meet once a year, like my committees, I, anything that I'm chairing, I try to make one meeting a year and handle everything else by phone just to reduce costs. Don't need to be flying everybody across the country and putting everybody up in hotels to, to accomplish the business that needs to be accomplished in education and training, that kind of thing. But in any case, we have those, those meetings there. Now, there's a lot of stuff that goes on the side, a lot of discussions, a lot of Here's an initiative, but uh, you know what's going on. Yeah, I'm not on the finance committee, but I want to know what's going on in finance because I have some I have some strong opinions about finance and and that sort of thing, and that's uh, you know part of my responsibilities here. So understanding how that works here uh, and expenditures and things that uh, our marketing spend certainly. So I keep an eye on that for the or, uh, you know for the organization. I'm very interested in PR, so the public relations meetings I go to, even though I'm not technically on that committee, and we have some discussion. And then the actual business of the board is conducted at the board meeting itself. Um, the the board generally has a lot of the sidebar discussions taken care of uh, prior to going into that meeting, but the uh, there's there's certainly executive sessions where things can get very entertaining and heated, and that's you know you don't that is not publicly releasable records when we go into a session like that, and most of your stuff that an, an NRA member that isn't happy with how the organization is going would probably be happy to see some of the discussions that happen behind those kind of you know, quote unquote closed doors. But uh, because it is an, an executive session, it doesn't, you know, those transcripts aren't there, uh, are, are, are put out. You can see, you read the meetings on everything else, but uh, yeah. the executive session is relatively closed. But, uh, and we vote on some issues and, and, and conduct the business of the organization. Now there's <clears throat> the, the permanent staff of the NRA uh, really is who conducts the day-to-day -day business and stuff. So the board does not get consulted um, when there are, so like a response to say something like an attack on a bump fire stock position or whatever, that is not something that, you know, they call every board member and say, Hey, how do you feel about this? That, that just doesn't happen. We, we generally have some positions that are, that are put forth and some opinions. And then based on political needs, the lobbying aspects, the, the, second and third order effects of, uh, of saying a certain position a certain way publicly and what that does to re-election chances. And what, that's kind of what I indicated in that article was the frustrating part is the, the only thing most politicians care about, and which is unfortunate and or, or fortunate to some extent, is re-election. So they say that you can say, well, that's a validation that my, my constituents support me. 
Um, but the reality is, they, you know, it's, it's what does this move do for my poll numbers and things like that? Not really what are you doing for the good of your actual constituents? And if you spun it a different way or talked about it more truthfully, perhaps um, they might not be as excited about what you're actually getting done. But, it, it, you know, you could spin it in a certain way that certainly makes your reelection happier. And, and that's what they care about is the soundbite. Um, <clears throat> So that's what you're up against. And, and certain people, you know, some of the positions that the NRA has, uh, has talked about, I, I certainly can, can reassure everyone that, you know, the NRA does not hate bump fire stocks. The NRA is not uh, a big fan of the Hughes Amendment or the NFA in general. Uh, but, you, you know, there's like 5% of Congress right now that would vote to repeal Hughes or, or, or certainly the NFA. Uh, so that's what you're up against. So if you if that's your position going in and it's a real hard line of you need to repeal the NFA right now, they won't you can't even have a conversation when it comes to universal background checks, red flag laws, things like that. They only want you in the door. Um, and that's the, the challenge, because honestly, and personally, I am an anti-Hughes. I want mail order, Solothurn, 20 millimeter anti, you know, I want, I want all that stuff. I want everything. I want belt fed suppressed machine gun delivered to my door from the Sears catalog. That kind of, that's, that's, that's where I'm at on the spectrum of gun ownership and the second amendment. Right. But, uh, it's, uh, the publicly stated positions of the NRA then of course, for anybody that's even remotely close to that can be frustrating, but I spent enough time in DC where I understand <clears throat> I understand the the cesspool that that is and the way business gets done. And sometimes there's a little bit of doublespeak going on, even from people that you like, in order to open the right doors, close the other ones that are supposed to be. And there's usually there's usually a, a maneuver there. I still think that within that context, the NRA should never be in a position that they are recommending or promoting passage of a bill that increases restrictions in any case, even if it's meant to kill it by promoting it or they intend to attach themselves. It's just not, a, it's just not, a, it doesn't play well. Yeah. Uh, and it's not what you, makes you feel good as a member of the organization to, to be reassured about what the organization is doing for you. So that's, that's the one, you know, I understand this, all the, you know, 40 chess and 60 chess and all that stuff, but uh, I still think it's, it's, it comes down to just at least if we can have that line in the sand, I think we'd be better off and, and communication about where we're at and all these things would be better. Now, getting back to the original question, as I yeah. went off in a rabbit hole, it's 5,000 feet deep. Um, the board doesn't have a whole lot of control over that with the exception of influence. So we have conversations and I try to inject myself into as many of those conversations as possible uh, and, and, and help out where I can for the good of the org. And by keeping an eye on things that I think, um, is an exercising, not that I have a true fiduciary responsibility with my role in the organization, but you do, I mean, you know, there's a responsibility that the membership's money is being spent in a way that benefits the membership. So I keep an eye on that stuff as much as I can. And it's gotten better. The new treasurer is a rock star. So there's a lot of good things that have been happening and cutting down, trimming down, trimming the fat, so to speak. Right. Um, and good things that are moving there, but we don't have the board. It's not like the board can say, Hey, we're going to do this unless you have a two thirds majority of the board, which is what it takes to overrule uh, permanent staff or to replace uh, positions on the permanent staff other than by, you know, a, a planned session that everybody votes on with a simple majority. <clears throat> yeah. Does that answer the question or did that go? <laughs> well, like I said, you could write, you could write a book on the subject. You've learned a lot in the last uh, year or two of uh, being, you know, really actively involved there, uh, both from the committee pers perspective of things as well as on the board. One thing that, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about the influence of the board 
And I look at the NRA board of directors and I think, what is it? It's 76 members on the board of directors, right? And, and yeah. that's a, that is a large board, right? It's extremely large. And that's, it's a, a little bit dilutive to some extent. I will, I will agree there. And then there's some members, some, some board positions that, that serve other uh, functions or, you know, they've got, uh, some folks there that like they haven't come to a meeting in a while or what do they do? Like, you know, the Carl Malone is there's some work with NBA players that increases firearm safety and, and teaching there so that that doesn't become a hot button issue for the NBA to want to promote gun, gun control because they're having accidents with their players, that kind of thing. So that's yeah. what that aspect is about. Yeah. Carl, I haven't, Carl's supposed to sit right beside me. I haven't seen him yet, but it's uh, there's, there's other things that some of these celebrity board members do and, and some mouthpiece things. So it's not, does it make more sense that that becomes an honorary position rather than a true working board position? Uh, you could argue that easily. Uh, but that's, that's what some of those positions are, are about. <clears throat> but, you have people from industry, you have current and former uh, uh, legislators from across the country. You've got, uh, it's, it's an interesting group of people and a lot of people who are very, very passionate uh, about the Second Amendment. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty diverse group. And it's a pretty good group um, uh, overall, I would say. Now, are, are there, am I probably, I, I don't want to say I'm in a minority. There's a lot of, even even some of the, 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 the the older crowd that's been there for a long time are pro-machine gun guys and, and anti-NFA guys. And there's, some, you'd, you'd be surprised. And I know there's, there's this view of what the NRA board is, that it's, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of old white guys making, you know, decisions based on their, their duck guns, right? That's not the case at all by any stretch of the imagination. Most of these guys are very, very serious about it. It's just, there's some frustrations in the whole lobbying process that, that you won't see. Um, so that's, uh, that's the board in a nutshell. Yeah. Can I, can I ask you a question, Dwayne? Um, it, it hit me a couple of times, like how you were talking about, um, you know, these different board members that are celebrities and, and do this and that, that oh, frankly, a lot of people wouldn't know, know about. Right. And so, um, and there's a lot of nuance involved in this conversation as it is, and, and, and people get on one side or the other. And, and so there's a lot of, a lot of groups out there that are like, they take a, like a hardline stance, right. And, and grassroots effort. Yeah. Um, and there, there is a place for that, but tell me, can you explain to like the people that aside with these, the, the hardline group, obviously we, we all have that inside of us, but also understand that there is a place for the NRA and they can't necessarily be a no compromise stance like a grassroots effort. Can you, can you kind of explain, um, yeah. the benefit of both? So first of all, GOA, SAF, FPC, organizations like that big fan of the positions do not get me wrong and i think honestly the uh some of the lawsuits that get brought um are a little more daring and a little more bold uh than what the nra is comfortable with the nra sometimes can be very, very calculating the nra usually gets behind things when they start to have legs uh, one way or the other and brings all, all those resources to bear which helps to bring a lot of these things to uh, to fruition that's the case with heller mcdonald was most Mostly NRA, but Heller was certainly one at the NRA. Was I don't know if it's the right time, but got on board uh, once the, the if everything was rolling. But uh, so positions. When we end up, uh, it's like a, a great example is uh, specific policy goals. So uh, after a post Parkland uh, issue, Arizona introduced. Uh, so there are a bunch of red flag laws that were introduced across the country, um, and the. General consensus, of course, red flag laws are, are dangerous as heck. 
Okay, so this is 1984 George Orwell stuff, you know, it's uh, ex parte hearings and secret tribunals and, you know, no due, due process and the whole thing. Um, and so you know, Chris made a video, which which I lost my mind when I saw it. So I can imagine what the, the, the anybody else that's, that's a member that wants the organization to be working for them. He makes a, a thing that's um, saying, hey, there's there's we don't want guns in the hands of crazy people. And I understand that. And it makes sense that. You know, we have something like this, but we need laws with full due process. We need to make sure that there's no ex parte hearings. We need to make, you know, there has to be an opportunity to appear and face your accusers. And so all these things that, that he was saying in this thing was really an attempt to subvert the, the Arizona law. So it was the NRA's position is that, okay, we're, yeah, that's, that sounds like a great idea, but it, you need to have all these because otherwise it's terrible. Uh, and so the p- position was really a political move to, to kill the, the red flag legislation in Arizona, which it just has what did. Same thing with the, the, the bump fire stock thing frustrated me to no end just because of the, the wording of it. But, and I explained that in that, in that piece. Uh, hardware bans don't work. It's obviously, uh, you know, there, there's nothing that you're ever going to accomplish by, by banning hardware, uh, except for disarming law-abiding citizens. And, that, you know, that should be the first and foremost position, no matter what. We should never be recommending anything be looked at, no matter how you're looking at it. But uh, the idea where, there was to subvert uh, the legislative process. I mean, that, that legislation for bump fire stocks was rolling. And check with anybody who was there on the Hill at the time. Uh, they had the votes, very emotional period post Parkland. You had the, you know, the David Hoggs and everybody out there, you know, to do it for the kids. Uh, and that legislation was going to pass and Trump was going to sign it. Trump hates, you know, bump fire stocks and shooting elephants. And those are his two like hot button two a issues where he doesn't stand with uh, the general consensus of, uh, of, of at least the NRA theoretically uh, this week anyway. So that's uh, <laughs> crossed. Uh, but uh in any case, so that there had to be something that uh, that stopped that. Now, you can say, well, you just say that no ban, we're not going to do this. Well, what you'd have had is you'd have had that ban. And it's not just that some people would say, well, we end up in the same place you are now. It was banned regulatory risk. And that's far more nefarious. But the problem was it wasn't just bump fire stocks in the legislation. It takes up triggers, binary triggers, cranks, anything that like increased the firing rate, quote unquote, of that uh, a firearm, and theoretically, that could pull up lightweight bolt carriers, any aftermarket match triggers, anything that reduced the pull weight on a trigger, reset distance. All of those things could have been lumped into that, and could eventually have been, you know, a de facto semi-automatic ban in in almost any any case. So that, that that's the problem with that legislation. It was so poorly written and rushing it through that it would have been a nightmare afterwards in regulatory interpretation. So push it to regulatory, we end up with with a crappy situation, but they honestly didn't think the ATF would, would rule that way. Uh, so that was the, you know, the kind of fly in the ointment is Trump really, really hated bump fire stocks. And, uh, kind of that now is that regulatory move fraught with legal peril and probably, uh, ripe for overturn. Yeah. But that's, that's going to take some time. And it also probably needs to stay in place long enough that this year's bump fire stock ban also gets defeated. But so th- those, so the, the behind the scenes kind of maneuvers, and I'll say that now, I couldn't, the NRA didn't want to say that at the time, certainly, because then it, you know, it obviously you know, Feinstein saw through it and she's like, no, I don't want it to go to regulatory. We need to pass the, the, the bill. Um, so it was obviously not helpful for them to say uh, that's what's going on. And a lot of people probably wouldn't have been happy with it one way or the other. They said, you should say no when you mean no. Um, the goal was certainly no. 
but sometimes the legislative realities on the Hill are so frustrating. I've never been more angry in my life <laughs> lobbying on Capitol Hill, but uh, yeah. Politics is messy. Everybody knows that, right? And that's basically what you're, that's what you're explaining to us here right now is that, and it's multifaceted because there's stuff going on behind closed doors on Capitol Hill, uh, in Congress, in the Senate. Um, there may be things going on in the White House we don't know about, of course, you know, even relating to gun related laws. Uh, who knows? And, uh, you know, and then you have an organization like the NRA that, is in, heavily involved in a lot of aspects. Uh, wasn't always the case, right? Originally, the NRA was, was very much, you know, about education, training, you know, and back, you know, a couple decades ago decided, okay, it's time to, you know, start getting a little bit more politically active. It's kind of a similar story to Magpul. You know, you guys were very kind of, you know, hey, we just, we're just doing our thing. We're just making mags and stuff, right? You know, and and it, you just sort of got dr- drug into the fight. What, what you're explaining to us is that it's all very messy, <laughs> Indeed. So it's a, if, if you ever want to lose faith completely in, in government, go down there and lobby for a couple of days. But, uh, you know, there's, hey, we want to get this done, but we can't do that because if we push that, the Dems will push back. But so-and-so over here, he could use a win with veterans groups. So if we let him introduce it, then it becomes a bipartisan issue with enough guys on this side and they'll do it because he needs that for re-election. And then they'll come up with uh, Oh, man. It's like, can't you just do what's right? That'd be a great idea, you know? Yeah. But, so what it, what, recognizing the mess that it all is, and the NRA is in a an impossible uh, position. Love or hate the NRA, they're in a very difficult position because when you're involved in politics like that, when you're involved in this mess in Washington D.C., uh, you, you're you're not going to be able to win on a lot of fronts as far as the public's perception of your organization. Uh, the perception of your members because you're trying to do things and maneuver and play within this rule set that exists in Washington D.C. If you can even call it a rule set, because there really there there really probably is no rules, but there is definitely a, a, a modus operandi as far as how D.C. Yeah. works, right? So you're trying to operate within that. You're going to look like a bad guy to, to members and outsiders alike. So. What do you think is the way forward for an organization like the NRA? Like, how can they be the organization that we all think that they are or would like them to be or hope for them to be, uh, but yet still get things accomplished? Uh, One is, uh, I think communications need to be better uh, across a lot of fronts. So we could could talk to the members in a better fashion. Uh, we spend a reasonable, a reasonably large amount of money on communications on, a, on an annual basis inside the NRA. Um, I say we in the royal sense. I don't have a vote on, on necessarily that uh, line item uh, right. on deal. But uh, absolutely, there's some, some money there. Some of that should be spent to be more effectively communicating with the membership. Now, some of those things, if you're not signed up for the ILA alerts and things like that, there's, there's some information in there. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, communications could be a lot better. Uh, some of the positions like the, the I've talked about previously, what I've, some of the lines in the sand I would like to see drawn that you just won't go there, even if it makes political sense, just because it's so damaging to perceptions and it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't inspire members or confidence in members. So some of those things I, I, I think would make sense. Uh, the other side is, you know, the, 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 the positions you choose, they have to be chosen very carefully. They are driven to some extent <clears throat> based on, 
the political realities. And it's like you have a conversation with the uh, ILA guys and, you know, we'd have the positions that would sound a lot more like GOA or somebody else if we had 60 Republican senators and 300 Republican legislators in the House. Uh, we could make statements like that um, because we would there would be enough people that wanted to talk to us to move stuff forward. You can go on the offense. That's the, the frustrating situation. You know, hey, we're going to repeal this. We want to repeal that. We want to get these right back, rights back. Absolutely, the NRA wants to do that. But I can't, there's, show me the path to that with the, you know, look at the legislative map. Who's going to vote for that? We have, yeah, we have the Senate. We lost the House. Uh, they've got a majority there. And even if you count blue dogs, we're not going to get pro-gun votes out of many of them. Maybe on something that's minor. And maybe you get national, uh, not that national reciprocity is minor, but that's something we could probably bring uh, enough blue dogs on to, to maybe get it across the finish line. Uh, but even if you look at the, the Republican Senate, you know, you've got, six or seven senators that are squishy R's, squishy at best. Um, and so when it comes to a true hardcore Second Amendment issue, then you're not in good shape. So now to that, people say, well, you should vote out the, you know, the Rubios and the McConnells and the whole deal. The problem when you start voting out squishy R's is you don't get a traditionalist or a, a constitutional conservative that's a purple district, and that's why that squishy R is in, is in office. What you get is a Democrat. Uh, and when you have that Democrat in office, regardless of even if they're a good Democrat, what you lose is the committees. So now you don't have – so now you have um, Feinstein running the, the Judiciary Committee instead of uh, um, a, a Republican. And now you've got a, a certain Lindsey Graham there. I couldn't even think of his name for him. Uh, I, I was, wasn't a big Lindsey fan until the Kavanaugh hearings. And then I was, he, he was okay for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, you did, so you lose the committees, you lose the abilities, you got stuff that doesn't, you can't kill stuff in committee anymore before it even gets to the floor. Uh, you lose that. And the same thing if we had, you know, libertarian candidates. If you put 10 libertarians in there and the Republicans now have less than the Democrats, the Democrats are running the committees. Um, and so they can kill stuff in committees so that we can't even make forward pro progress on, on any bills, even though we had enough people that really wanted to see them move forward. Uh, it's a lovely situation and it's a lovely mess the way that the government works. But what we do have when we maintain the Republican uh, uh, majority in the Senate, and that's really where the NRA put all of their, their resources or as many resources as they could in this election, is because of the judicial appointments. <clears throat> and that's really the path where we see uh, nationwide, and I'm, I'm not talking like I'm the guy making the, where we see the, the, the path forward. Personally, that's where I see it. I know that there's, that's the argument that's made within the organization as well. The judicial uh, option is about the best path to kind of roll back some of these things, especially in states like California, uh, now Washington, um, the New York, New Jersey, all that stuff. So Massachusetts, those places you're never going to win legislatively on the state level again. Um, we are at greater and greater risk of things happening on a national level with respect to hardware bans and things getting rough and, 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 and not favorable for Second Amendment interpretation. So the best path to try and roll those back is not by winning California's legislature again, because you're never going to, you know, that's not happening. I'm sorry, not in this or any other alternate universe. Can we, can we win a Republican majority in California to, to repeal their, their, their gun control laws? But we can challenge these things through judicial review. We've got a 5-4 yeah. court pretty good. Although Roberts is a little squishy himself. If, um, if 
Ginsburg, Ginsburg decides to retire, um, then uh, uh, for, for health reasons, then we would potentially have Amy Barrett up there. And that would give us a solid 5-4, potential 6-3. That's the time when, yeah. you know, magazine fans may be looked at um, and struck down. Because honestly, if, I know how many 30-round magazines we've made in four years. <laughs> <laughs> try to tell me that's not common use those numbers aren't common use that's uh <laughs> the standard that i don't even agree with that standard but it was the heller standard um it should be the military purpose uh, miller standard but uh, in any case uh that's that's the path forward yeah. that i see to spread down assault weapons ban and, and things like that and that's why we had to keep the senate uh and that's what, what the big deal is and as, as well as that the lower course i mean we had what we have 100 and or 135 uh, or 85 or 130. I mean, it's 85 judicial appointments in district courts and lower federal courts in the first two years of Trump's uh, term, and we have 130 left to go. So, um, I mean, yeah. that is changing the judicial landscape across the country for the next several decades, getting rid of a lot of, uh, of, uh, of Democrat appointees and helping some of those lower courts and then the Supreme Court itself. So <clears throat> that's the long game. Um, at least the, the best yeah. path I can see winning, especially getting a relief for places like California, New York, New Jersey, things like that. There's a lot of people that uh, say that, you know, they're leaving the NRA to go and support other organizations, GOA, uh, Firearms Policy Coalition, uh, SAF, you know, Second Amendment Foundation, whatever. Um, why is the NRA the, or- the organization that is best equipped to guide us forward through, you know, these coming days and years. Um, and, and also there's along with that to- same, you know, on the same token, these people that are saying they're leaving the NRA and going and supporting other organizations. Uh, there's sometimes an argument that's thrown out that the only way to get the NRA's attention, the only way to get them to change is to take away their money. So uh, right. what would you say to, to those that are in that camp? Uh, that's, that's not from, from my perspective, there's, don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of things I'd like to see change <clears throat> at the NRA. And I work for those on a daily basis and whenever, certainly whenever I'm um, conducting NRA business, there are, there are things that I'm advocating for that are not the current position or status quo. Um, but uh, trying to start the organization with funds is one, uh, not for two reasons really, is the, is, is the problem. One, you don't want that. They are because of the fact that when uh, the, the ability of any organization to influence the mind of lawmakers is based on their uh, the effects they can have on an election. So that's why GOA does not get a seat at the table, right? And I, I, I love their positions. I think they do great grassroots activation. Some of their, their lawsuit stuff is solid. Uh, it, it's, so I'm not saying that, that hey, I'm anti-GOA by any stretch of the imagination. The problem is they're not going to get a seat at the table because they're not going to be able to influence elections. They have a couple million dollar annual budget and it just and the reach is not what the NRA's reach is. Uh, they don't have the, the they don't have the actual grassroots network and organization that the NRA does with the Friends of NRA and all that stuff. I mean, it's a huge organization with more people than any other, you know, kind of uh, uh, special interest group, if you want to call it that. So there is an effect that the NRA can have on an election. If you reduce the effect that NRAs can have on elections, either positive or negative, by opposing or promoting carrot and stick for any of these lawmakers, then you reduce the ability of of the NRA to be able to do that. Uh, And they're the only ones that can do that for the firearms lobby, period. Uh, There's very little influence you have other than that. Yeah, can you help socialize? Can you help inform? Can you do things like that? But as far as affecting uh, elections, which is the only thing most of these guys care about, 
the NRA is the only one that can do that. If you reduce their capability to do that, then you reduce the the, the impact of the entire gun lobby. Uh, <clears throat> the other side is it's probably not going to be effective in any case. Um, there's a, there's enough people. The NRA has you know uh, issues on both ends of the spectrum. There's there's honestly members of the NRA who there's a few of them out there or or enough that one don't aren't anti NFA kind of people, uh, which is you know, unfortunate. That, uh, that's a frustrating position for me to, or, or to talk about that. But there's there's all kinds of folks out there in within the organization who believe in the general Second Amendment and supporting the Second Amendment that they, they're not the same place on the spectrum that somebody like me is. <clears throat> so there's there's a significant number of those people. There's also enough people who believe that this is the the way to get things done, just by the the fact that you know that where I'm at. Uh, you need to participate in this because of what the NRA has the capability to do that nobody else has the capability to do. And there are a lot of donors when you start looking about just beyond individual membership money, it's, it's, it's large donors um, that carry a lot of water as well. And they are, they understand the complexities of that situation in many cases. And so they're not going to drive many of those guys away. So two, two facets. One, you don't want that to happen. If the NRA is ever weakened to the point where it can influence elections, it's going to be a, a it's not going to be a good situation when, when the way the map looks after that election. Um, and if it's really unlikely that you get them to that point, you just may hurt things a little bit. Uh, even like you, you see that with all the backlash and all the bad statements and PR that frustrate me and want me make me pull what's left. Of, there's no hair left. I'm not, who am I kidding? But anyway, if I had hair, I'd be pulling it out. But uh, if you take a look at some of those states, we still finished the year with 5.2 million members, which is more than we've ever finished in December with. So it's uh, it's that's that's where that is. From yeah. my perspective. <laughs> so, Dwayne, I, I have a quick question, uh, and I'll start by saying, obviously, the listeners are going to be able to tell you're an extremely intelligent and articulate guy. And um, you mentioned about messaging and how you know the nra needs to do a better job with messaging um obviously we know the anti-gun groups do a tremendous job with their messaging um and so if someone were to and i want you to be able to to let the the listeners hear this and and if they share it with you know uh with their friends if somebody were to come up to you and just say the NRA, are they just about money? It seems like they're just about money. They don't care about the gun owners. They don't really care about the legislation. They just want money. What would be your message to those guys come on and down, gals? Come on down to the office with me. Let's walk through that. Let's walk through that building and talk to the people in the, that work there. And uh, I think that would change people's minds in a hurry. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff, uh, you know, people, oh, look at those salaries, look what they spend on this, and, you know, I spend this much on ACMAC or whatever, and, and it's uh, and it's just wasting money. And in some cases, there's some belt tightening that can happen. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that, that, that that's that's where I, you know, LipTAC would say this is what we should be spending on these positions and, and we should be spending on these efforts. Not by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not about that. Yes, does the NRA want money? They want money to be able to influence those elections because that's that's the only leverage we have to be able to get these people to, to, to kind of vote our way, especially if they're on the edge. Education, yeah, we educate them all the time. There's people on the Hill constantly talking to staffers and legislators, trying to make sure that they understand the other side of these issues other than the, you know, the soundbite that every town for gun safety wants to throw out there or the Bloomberg's people are spreading, you know, like a cancer. So there's, yes, there's some education going on there, but when it comes down to brass tacks and what's going to happen in this next election, they, they want to be able to have that sort of influence. The more influence they have there, the more good they can do for us, the stronger their positions can be, honestly. 
Right on. Cool. Yep. Well, we, we've probably taken enough of your time. So um, here's the thing. Uh, well, before I actually totally transition, I, w- I do want to uh, wish you the best of luck in the work you're doing on the board of directors. And, uh, you know, your post on Facebook, by the way, the link to that, I'm going to, I'm going to link to that if that's all right with you. I, I did, you made it a public post. So, uh, so yeah. listeners of the podcast, you can go read that for yourselves. It's, it's really well written. And I think it makes a pretty strong case, uh, as to why the, you know, why we shouldn't give up on the NRA just yet. Uh, in fact, it, it encouraged me enough to where I, I went ahead. I, the same day I read your post, I got a mailing from the NRA saying, would you like to be an endowment level member, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I remember seeing it. I'm like, I've gotten several of those through the years, you know, like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, I'm a life member. I'm cool with that. And uh, I read your post and I went, you know what? Yeah, okay. I'm going to go ahead and up my life membership. Um, and I do support some, I give money to these other organizations as well. Um, I, I think that we all need to try to get along and work together as best we can. And, and in many cases we do on some of these lawsuits and whatnot, right? So, um, but yeah, you, you, you inspired me to go ahead and up my membership, um, because, uh, it, it, it changed some things in my mind as far as how I was feeling about, uh, where things currently stood. But anyway, all right, so I encourage you. I wish you the best of luck in that regard, but I want you to end on a happier note, and Magpul has some really exciting stuff coming to market. <laughs> so tell us, like, what's what's really floating your boat these days at Magpul? Uh, I, let me have one more closeout on the NRA oh, thing, yeah. and I hate to because I'd rather talk about the product. I really love to do that. <laughs> but uh, so the, the my, my, my recommendation is that you be a member, uh, be part of the process. If you don't want to send a dime more than what you spend on your membership and not be a voting member, then don't, but be a voting member, get that taken care of, and then vote yeah. for good candidates who you think can can do the right thing and who promote the right positions within the NRA, the right level of, uh, of, of your interests or representing your interests, you know? Yeah. So, so be a part of that process, and that's the way to get positive change as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. And ballots are out uh, right now. Ballots are out right now, uh, yeah. so get those. If you, if you are not a voting member, uh, yeah. you can still have a chance to change that and get a ballot by mail. If you get your magazine, of course, it's in the magazine. It should have been in the, the with the February issue there. Uh, if you did not get a ballot in your magazine and you are a voting member, call Member Services. They will mail you a ballot. If you are an electronic uh, publications member, you should have received one via a separate mailing. If you did not, once again, contact Member Services. Get that ballot. Make sure you take a look at those candidates. Weigh those things out. There's lots of good information out there on the Internet for all of them. Uh, make, a, make a decision and, and promote and support those that uh, you think are going to do a good job for you. Yeah. And the other is take somebody shooting. So yeah. teach somebody, convince a neighbor, somebody that's uh, that's on the fence, middle of the road, even somebody that's uh, hardcore on the other side. Uh, we, we're losing a multi-generational battle for, uh, you know, against the stigmatization of gun ownership in this, in our culture. We can't, that's the one we cannot lose. We lose that then everything else is gone too, because the voting block will change right along with that. So people have to understand that, you know, there's there's a reason for firearms ownership. It's actually kind of fun, and that uh, the Second Amendment is there for, for a very good reason. Now onto the fun stuff, Magpul <laughs> stuff. What, uh, what were the questions about the Magpul product? Well, see, so you just came out with the uh, the new 50 round drum mag mm-hmm. for 308. Uh, a few mm-hmm. months ago, you released a new bipod that uh, I have, and it's freaking awesome. Um, you 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 got a knife coming. Here pretty quick. That looks really, really cool too. Uh, I, mean, I know there's, I know there's more. Oh, dude, 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's sweet. So, and I know there's other things too. So, uh, like, like tell us, like, what's like? That's why I, I put it in the phrase of, uh, of you know, what's floating your boat these days? Like, what are you excited about, Dwayne? Uh, I'm, I'm excited about one the just the the opportunities we have to jump into as many things. The, the bandwidth keeps increasing, which is a great thing because once again, that ADHD um, that I've got, uh, I end up all over the place, and it's a and it's it's, it's my guys are into everything, so I, I, I love that. Not my guys, but even engineers' guys, and the whole deal. It's it's a team kind of family thing, and it's an awesome thing to be able to touch all these different areas. Um, but yes, very excited about 762 by 51 drum. The Scorpion stuff is a new one. So uh, Evo Scorpion did a grip mag release and the PMAG 35, uh, 35 around uh, nine millimeter magazine for the Scorpion platform. Some people are like, oh, why'd you do that? Just, why don't you make an M1A magazine or whatever? Well, the uh, one, there's, 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 there's the Scorpions, there's a growing number of them out there. And there's you're starting to see AR lowers and some other platforms as well that are taking that magazine. And it's a much better magazine for a carbine than using a Glock pistol magazine that's a two into one. So that's why we did that one. Uh, so we, we think you'll see a lot more of that magazine making it into other platforms, even besides just the Evo Scorpion, which is a fun platform by itself. Uh, so that uh, mag release script and, uh, and mag. So then the MP5 stuff. So that's something we've learned to do forever. Uh, I am a roller head from day one. Um, it's, uh, that's, uh, I'm a huge fan. But it never made financial sense, and we got some things changed and had some opportunities, and so now it's time to go down that road. So we have a five-inch uh, handguard, eight-inch handguard for uh, MP5K or reverse stretch and uh, full-size guns. Uh, we have a, a grip housing, trigger module, whatever you want to call it, that uh, <clears throat> changes the ergonomics a little bit more vertical. No longer feels like a crazy lozenge shape that's uncomfortable in anyone's hand. Uh, put some texture on it, put grip storage in it. Uh, it's easier to reach the selector, uh, even if you use the stock selector, things like that. Yeah. Uh, and we did a selector uh, setup that's going to be, you know, it comes with a barrel and a bunch of different ends that you can Lego put on whatever you want. So if you want an extended ESSL on the left side and a nub on the right side, kind of like a factory uh, ambi gun, that's great. Uh, if you are left-handed and you want a nub on the left side and, that, and the ESSL on the right, you can do that. If you want a, if you want to maintain your toolless uh, disassembly of the trigger pack out of the housing, you can just put the whatever you want on the left, and then there's like a little cap that goes on the right. In any case, it's 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 pretty cool, and it actually makes the uh, selector completely usable, uh, as opposed to even better with the the standard one. Uh, then we did, of course, the 700L uh, long action. You're gonna see some more things along that line, uh, as well as some some hunter expansions we've got in the works. The bipod line, like you talked about. Uh, we've got some other things cooking along that. We'll probably talk about those in our ratio. Um, <clears throat> we've got more magazine products uh, coming. We did uh, Docker translucent, Docker wallets, uh, all the iPhone and, and uh, Samsung cases that have taken forever. <clears throat> and coincidentally, so people are like, why are you doing oh, eyewear? We did too many models of eyewear. That's been going great for us. And it's uh, you know, polymer design is certainly in our wheelhouse, and uh, and we understand the the eyewear side of it as well. So it's uh and, and so people will say, why are you doing eyewear? Why are you doing this this apparel thing? Or why are you doing uh, that thing? Uh, make work on gun stuff. Like, what's well, not the same guys working on the, the eyewear that work on the gun stuff? You know, <laughs> when it comes to phone cases, it's the same guys. So it's the guys that would ordinarily or otherwise be working on a firearm part that are working on the because it's the exact same skill set, same manufacturing base, and that sort of thing. <clears throat> so uh, whenever somebody wants to yell about the phone cases being late, just remember that that's why it's a Peter Paul <laughs> argument there. So if we're not we're, we're working on a phone case, we're not working on gun parts. So sometimes we 
we prioritize uh, towards the gun gun stuff. Um, what else do we have? Makes sense. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff. But uh, more stuff. The, the knife, of course. The, there's a lot of concern about uh, uh, price or whatever like that. Will we? Will we? This isn't going to be five hundred dollars uh, that uh, a lot of people have seen on that uh, the price point there. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is a titanium knife with an insert for the locking piece. That's you know tool steel and it's an S thirty five D blade. It's got ceramic cage roller crazy bearings and all that. You know, so it's it's not roller bearings, but it's crazy ceramic bearings. But uh, so I mean, this is and it's you know hand fitted and the whole deal, and it's it's pretty darn nice. It's I mean, it's like it yeah, just kind of rolls out but the uh in any case yeah that, that that's the really high-end knife there's gonna be limited runs of 200 we're gonna do a couple of aesthetics and it's just because we wanted we thought this the secondary locking feature was something that was that was was kind of neat and needed will we do a version of this knife that is not you know limited run 200 and you know probably at some point it makes sense that we would look at that we're certainly exploring those options but really we wanted to make some knives so we made some knives <laughs> where, where that goes i don't know <laughs> that's awesome dude and then um the briefcase gun is that coming out anytime soon <laughs> everybody, everybody wants that. Everybody, i just had to uh, throw it out <laughs> i would uh believe me i would be the first one in line if uh, we said we were going to do that to uh to to push it forward um it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things it's never off nothing's ever off the table right so it's uh, a little bit of willy wonka's chocolate factory going on so uh there's you never know what we're gonna do or, or what where we'll take a left turn or a right turn i'd say i'd certainly love to do it <laughs> yeah i know that uh, yeah folks if you haven't if you haven't looked that up you got to go look it up you know the that that goes back a ways that was yeah first contrived like probably 20, 2009 yeah uh, time frame it's a uh, drake uh, early days, the booth was really small, and it's just a, that was a, a uh, you know a carbon printed prototype, and it was on forgotten or not forgotten weapons. So that's the end. But the uh, uh, oh, it's one of those military weapon shows with uh, the the guy that uh, looked like me, bald head. Uh, I can't even remember the name of it right now. Mac on uh, the History Channel or whatever that yeah, show was. Yeah. But <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it was on there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a while back. We still, I mean, we've got. The airsoft versions, and we still pull those out every once in a while. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, it's always fun to see the creativity and uh, wh- where you guys are going next with things. Uh, you know, great looking eyewear, you know, clothing. You, you got, yeah, you, you got soft goods rolling out, you know, too. So, a lot of cool stuff from Magpul. So, folks, uh, give Magpul some love, and uh, you know, we appreciate them uh, and, w- and their support of this industry. We haven't even touched on it, uh, Dwayne, but. Uh, you know, you guys are very much involved in a couple of uh, you know major matches on the three gun side, especially. Uh, I shot at uh, for the second year last year uh, the uh, Wyoming Governor's match, which was a yeah. great match. Uh, you were there; it was good to see you, and uh, really appreciate you guys' you know support. Also, of just you, know, you, you guys really are involved in a lot of different aspects of the industry, and that's that's one that has a limited touch, you know, as far as the number of people you're going to reach. Um, yeah. but the fact that you're willing to, uh, expend some resources to, to support that, uh, means a lot to guys like me that enjoy shooting those matches. Yeah. One, it's, one is fun. I'm a competitive shooter and, and I like to do that. I still, I guess I'm in our, in our pre before we went live, I only get to about two majors a year at this point, but I, I still love to do it. Uh, I enjoy that environment. I grew up, you know, I started as a, I was a sponsored USPSA shooter when I was 17. So it's, uh, that 
I shot everything from cowboy action to silhouette to whatever. So it's a muzzle loading trap <laughs> thing. But in any case, I love competitive shoot, competitive shooting, and we support that a great deal at Magpul. And like you said, the numbers are relatively small, so we, we're we're supporting more PRS, getting more and more into that as we get more and more to the bolt gun side of things. So we're getting some more more stuff out there for that. We've always been big in three gun and, and USBSA to some extent, whenever that makes sense with the handgun stuff. But three gun for 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 certain, uh, as well as like uh, you know high power and service rifle stuff and things like that, because we want to to promote the culture of you getting out and using these things you know it's uh it's there's the whole idea behind having a training program as a manufacturer to begin with is just we, we wanted people to be active and proficient with these things get them out of the safe go out and do things true meaning of the second amendment that kind of thing we want a proficient citizenry uh and competition is one of the one of the great ways to do that as well as some of the you know the training programs that are out there get them out of the safe take them out dust them off that's right if you, you got dust on it you got you're doing something wrong they're burning down <laughs> Awesome. Dwayne, thanks for your time today, buddy. Uh, appreciate you uh, doing this interview with us and for our listeners and followers of the Concealed Carry Podcast. If there's ever anything we could do for you uh, in, in return, uh, please let us know. Happy to help. That's, I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Great talking to you. All righty. Yeah, thanks so much, Dwayne. There you go. Uh, awesome interview, I thought, uh, with uh, Dwayne. What did you think, Matthew? Yeah, man, and you you really get a sense of like, how it's a selfless job that he has there. Right. I mean, like he's, he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's fighting um, on the inside for, you know, a little bit more, um, I guess maybe a little different approach or different direction that than the NRA is currently in um, while still, you know, operating within the, the NRA. And while he's doing this, you know, he, he, he obviously, cause he, he it, prompted him to write a very length, very lengthy uh, response, but he sees all the like hatred and like misunderstanding about what the NRA is and, and that they're not pro 2A and all this. And so it's got to be like, man, I'm beating my head against the, the wall trying to do, fight for all this. And then yet people are still, you know, kind of against me um, or against the NRA. So it, it's it's got to be tough and frustrating, no doubt. What I took from this is that it's a political game, right? And it's a political mm-hmm. mess. Uh, the NRA trying to lobby on behalf of uh, the Second Amendment and those of us that believe in it. And sometimes there's political games that are played. And I, by political games, I mean compromises uh, or what appears to be a compromise, a strategy, a political strategy. And we get a little bit of that insight from Dwayne in that there have been times, there have been efforts where anti-gunners were trying to get certain legislation passed and the NRA has done certain things that might be viewed as uh, supporting that legislation and compromising on behalf behalf of that legislation or for that legislation, the reality is the NRA was trying to maybe, and and I'm just repeating what he's basically said, okay? So whether you believe this or not, that's that's on you. Uh, But I think Dwayne's a pretty credible guy, okay? He's a good guy. Uh, But basically the NRA trying to attach itself to some of that legislation to make it less palatable to the anti-gunners, to the people trying to push that legislation. That's that's what's really interesting to me, okay? So if we can understand that perspective of it, even if we disagree with it, at least for me, that was helpful to be like, okay, like I see that side of it now. Um, whereas maybe, maybe I didn't see it quite so clearly before. Um, not that I, not that that means I support that 
I, 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 I frankly am like many of you where I'd like to maybe see some of the tactics that the NRA has employed changed, but, uh, but it's helpful to know that like there's a reason behind some of the, th- the things that the NRA has done in the past. Uh, but we could definitely agree on, and Dwayne was very, very clear on this, that communication could be greatly improved. And I think by by that, I think he also means some, some of the uh, transparency side of things too. The NRA could just probably do a better job overall of communicating to its members uh, and being more transparent on what the NRA is doing to advance Second Amendment rights and freedoms in this country um, and why they're still the best organization to actually do that. Now, I know that some of you listening are thinking, well, there's there's Firearms Policy Coalition, there's Gun Owners of America, there's uh, the Second Amendment Foundation, and they're all great organizations. Uh, and, and and we should support them as well where we can. Um, but the, the reality is none of those other organizations, not even all of them all together, are even anywhere close to the size and the organizational prowess that the NRA is. Uh, and so love the NRA or hate the NRA, it is still a substantial organization, uh, the largest organization of like-minded, you know, gun-owning, freedom-loving folk. So I don't know, take it for what it is. This was just a presentation of, of, a, of a perspective, of one man's additional perspective on this thing that is called the NRA. Uh, you know, we're working on getting an interview lined up with uh, Adam Kraut, who is running to be on the board of directors. And Adam has a totally different perspective. And uh, working on getting that lined up with him. We'll bring him to, you know, onto the podcast here in the near future uh, to share his perspective. So basically, in the last you know number of episodes, we will we will have had the uh, perspective of Maj Ture, who was a very interesting interview. Regardless, even you know NRA notwithstanding, but his big thing was. There's some things at the NRA about it that he is, uh, you know, that has caused him to not renew his membership with the NRA. Now we've had on Dwayne Liptak, who is on the board of directors of the NRA, sharing his perspective on that and why he thinks it's, you know, a, a worthy cause. And then if we'll get the perspective of someone like Adam Kraut coming on the podcast who's trying to get onto the board of directors and has some really strong feelings about changing the face and the organization that is the NRA. So uh, I think this will be really interesting uh, to, to kind of see all these different um, ideas and thoughts um, on, the, on, the, on the organization. And hopefully, and this has been my goal from the beginning, Matthew, is that for our listeners, uh, this is educational for them to see what the organization is like, how it works, and these different sides and different viewpoints of the NRA. Um, that's the whole goal is that we are all a little bit more knowledgeable and educated on these issues. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you can't make in, in anything in life, you can't make a decision if you're not educated on on the topic. So um, w- if you're going to pull out of the NRA or if you're going to you know, renew your membership, it helps to know what the direction is. And, and if you have questions that you can kind of get an idea and understand. I mean, I, I think sometimes we think, um, well, if the NRA would have done this, then this would have happened in our, you know, there would have never been a bump stock ban or, or whatever. But like, we don't really know what would have happened if we would have done, if they would have done this. Right. And if, and, and I think what Dwayne was underscoring is the intentions are 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 good and and towards protecting the Second Amendment. However, sometimes they might not come across is exactly 
it, they might not come across well, or they might not end up getting the same result that they hope to, but the intention and the underlying uh, drive is is still to push Second Amendment, you know, rights and and, and to protect it. So yeah. um, I think it's just it's just a, a great way to to educate yourself about the NRA and all the all the things that are going on right now. Good thoughts, man. Uh, what brought all of this to light, or you know, what kind of brought at least Dwayne into this conversation from my side of things was, uh, you know, I've actually been friends with him on Facebook for for a while now. Uh, shot with him at the Wyoming Governor's Match, which Magpul is a made is the title sponsor of. Uh, really, really, really well supported match um, on Magpul's behalf. I mean, everybody walks away from that match with at least one of their products in their hands, especially a magazine. Uh, so. Anyway, um, but I came across this post that Dwayne wrote um, back about a month ago now, I think it was, and it was just a very compelling, well-reasoned post. And so I'm the, the link is in the show notes. Uh, go check it out. You really need to read it, okay? If there was something that was unclear to you and what we discussed with him today in this interview, go read Dwayne's uh, post. Uh, it's a public post. Like I said, the link is in the show notes. Read it. Decide for yourself what it means for you, and uh, we'll look forward to, you know, continuing the discussion. Uh, feel free to leave comments about this episode, and or send us emails podcast at concealedcarry We'd love to hear from you. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, last call uh, as far as uh, sponsors are concerned. Uh, you know, I might just mention you give some Magpul love, right? You know, give Magpul some love because Dwayne was cool enough to come on the show with us. It's not an unofficial uh, sponsor of the show or anything, but uh, you know. Give them some love. Uh, appreciate uh, them as a company and what they do in our industry. And uh, the Ray Response Holster, concealedcarry.com forward slash BRH. Go check them out. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Matthew, thanks for being on the show with me today, man. Yeah, man. No problem. Thank you for having me. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.